I had mentioned to you on Sunday that I felt the Lord had given me a, uh, a few verses in a direction before we had Bishop minister on Sunday. Did anybody have fun on Sunday? I had fun on Sunday. It was a fun day. Uh, I want to share some more with you of what I have felt um, felt Sunday and since then, um, just to kind of give you uh, what I felt the Lord has been giving me. I'm going to start with a couple of terms and definitions. I don't think I've ever done this this way before, but the first term is authentic. I think that was kind of a buzzword for a while um, among the Christian church. Uh, I say that with air quotes for those listening by radio. <laughs> uh, the Christian church. A- and, and it was, y- y- okay, I'm not going to get far fast tonight. I hope you're okay with that. Um, I just want to be like Christ, and I just want to obey the Word of God. I'm not very interested in much more than that. And when that's your mindset, all of a sudden you start to see um, that not everybody has that mindset, and some people care more about uh, what's happening in this element. In, in the in the physical element, in the natural realm, um, and obviously we operate here in the natural realm. I think I've used this analogy before. I can't decide church is over and it's time to go home and put my spirit in the car and send it home and let it get home. And no, I gotta operate through this flesh, right? I'm the, I have to open the door. I have to get in the car. I have to turn on the ignition and push the gas. I have to do those things, and that's operating in the natural realm. And so I know that we do that, but we only do that as much as we have to to get into the flow of the Spirit. So when I talk about in the in, in the in the um, in the Christian, uh, sorry, I'm not thinking of a better term right now than that. When we when we th- when we talk about in the Christian modern day Christian uh, world, terms are used. But I don't know that they're always used correctly or with the proper understanding. I say that to say that even this word authentic uh, being a term, a, a popular or a common term, I, I think I can think of some people that I knew that even called their church authentic church. Um, I don't even know if it still is or what that was all about. This is several years ago. Um, but... Uh, The term authentic, let me read you just this quick definition. It means of undisputed origin. 
there's no dispute about where it got started. Made or done in the traditional or original way. I'll give you the example of authentic Mexican food and let you contrast that with something that's not authentic Mexican food. And if you've had both, you know the difference. Amen? So, so, it, so I, that's, the, that's the analogy that came to my mind when I, when I saw the word traditional or made or done in the traditional way. What, what makes authentic Mexican food authentic? It's done. Did you say the tortillas? <laughs> yeah, it do, it's not squeezed out of a bottle, first of all. Um, but it's done in such a way that, at least to the best of your or my knowledge, that's how whoever did it first did it. And, uh, and that, uh, that uh, original or uh, first way of doing things is you try to preserve that by doing it that same way repetitively. And we call that authentic. So made or done in the traditional or original way, in a way that faithfully resembles an original. And this other part of the definition of the term authentic is based on facts accurate or reliable an authentic depiction of a situation so it's based on facts the other term that I want to give you is I already mentioned it but the term original and they they're kind of synonymous in a way in a sense the term authentic and the term original, but let me read you this definition of original. To be present or existing from the beginning, first or earliest. And this, this example that it gives here is the original owner of a house. So, a house has the first owner, that's the original owner. Because when the house was built and somebody started living there, it was them. They were there from the beginning. Existing from the beginning. The first or the earliest. We're talking about original. Second term or second definition of original is created directly and personally by a particular artist. Now, Brother Clyde let me know that he wasn't going to be here tonight, but he, he's an artist, in case you didn't know that. Brother Clyde is. And he's got works that he's created. They are the originals. Right? I know. I could, I, he could show me a picture, and I could go home and try to make that same thing. And first of all, it's not going to look nearly as good. Second of all, it's not the original. So something that's created directly and personally by a particular artist. It's not a copy or an imitation. Everybody say that word imitation. So we're going we're gonna to be talking all around the idea of imitation tonight. So created directly 
and personally by the particular artist. I even think if you work in an office environment, you have a whole machine dedicated to duplicating an original. We call that a copy machine, right? Or a copier. But, but you only got one original. Sometimes you got to make a copy of a copy or a copy of a copy of a copy. And before you know it, you can't even read those words anymore because it's not anywhere near the original. I want to read a couple of verses. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, I was thinking about this after I felt like the Lord had given me those, those terms, authentic and original, and trying to put them in a biblical context. Okay, what, what does that mean? Where do I see authentic or where, where do I see original in, in the Bible? And some verses started coming to my mind, and um, this is almost humorous to me in a sense. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, because I believe this was the first verse that came to my mind when we're talking about what, where do we see authentic or original. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33... Brother Timothy, I don't know if that TV is on behind you. It's not a TV, it's a monitor. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now, I said this almost comical. Let me explain what I mean by that. Up here on the screen, it looks all good. But in your Bible, raise your hand if those words the author, are in italics. You know, the rest of it's in plain font and the author's in italics. Well, that's what, what that means is when, when the original word, we're in Corinthians, so we're in the New Testament, so what language is this? This is in Greek, right? So in the original Greek, the words that are in italics were not actually in that verse the translator from Greek to English inserted those words to try and make this make more sense, make the, make the sentence make more sense. And so where I went in the scripture for authentic and original, thinking about the author, it's really not even in the original text. Uh, so I had to kick myself and keep trying for that one. But it is true, and here's what I see. Take out those words. The idea here is you can take out those words, and you would be reading it closer to what was written in the, in the original language. So if you take them out, you see, for God is not of confusion, but of peace. God is not of confusion, but of peace. The, the addition of the words, the author, they are implied. And so what they really do is, because it's God is of or God is not of, it's talking about the inherent nature of God. God, not confusion. 
But the inherent, what, what's inherent in here is where they feel like they can add the word, the author, because he is not where confusion originated. Does that make sense? Confusion is not of God. He's not a God of confusion. He's not. So confusion got here, right? But not through him. Got here by other means. He is of peace. He is the originator. He is inherent in him is peace. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Now, this, the, the word author, here's where I'm going with this. The word author, as we see it in the King James Version, is in there three times. That's one of them, and it only half counts because it wasn't in the original, right? But the other two, they are, they have a Greek translation that are in the, I'm going to look at them really quickly. Hebrews chapter 12. Now let me give you the context of this really fast. Hebrews chapter 11, we call that uh, the heroes of faith. Remember it says, by faith Abraham did this, by faith Moses did this. And it talks about all of those things. That's, that's in Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 12 verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author, say the author, and the finisher of our faith. Here, this term author it means the predecessor, the first one, kind of like the original. But in addition to being the first and the predecessor, it, it's that he is the leader of or the greatest of. So Abraham, hero of faith. Moses, hero of faith. All those in there, heroes of faith, but the original, the author of faith, the one we're looking unto, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So, again, he's compared to those heroes in chapter 11. They all had great faith. By faith, they did what they did. But none of them were the author of faith. They acted in the faith that was given to them. He's the author of our faith. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. One more example, or the, the third time that the word author is, is mentioned. I'm, talk, I'm interested in what's authentic and what's original. Where did something come from? Now, for sake of time, I didn't start in Genesis chapter 1, but we really could have started there because that was him creating the original. 
Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became, would you say he became? Hmm. I like this. Because... He had to go through what he went through that verse 8 describes. He became obedient. He, he learned through obedience and the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, not he was made perfect, uh, you know, on Christmas Day in Bethlehem when he was born, like made, no. He was made perfect or complete. He finished the things that he needed to do to become perfect, by learning through obedience and suffering, he became the author of what? The author of eternal salvation. So where does eternal salvation come from? All that that I just said. Not just because God decided I need to make my son and let him die. We see here he had to go through a process to become the author of eternal salvation. Now this word author is not the same as the predecessor or the leader of or the greatest of. This term author means the causer of, or that, I think it says that in which the cause of something resides. That's too complicated for me. He's the causer of it. Not to be confused with the reason for it. Everybody say, that's me. I'm the reason for it. He's the causer of it. I could be the reason and I could need it and it have never been created. There could, it could have never been authored and I'd still be sitting here in my need. But because he became the author of salvation, now I get to partake of that. I get to receive of that. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And the next verse called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, do you believe that he's the author? He's the author. Now, what are the first four words of Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Let me say that one more time. In the beginning, God. The author, the creator, the self-existent one. He was already there in the beginning. So, it's our beginning. It's the Bible's beginning. It's not his beginning. You know that, that God was alive before 
Genesis 1-1, right? Because how, if he wasn't, it would have to say, in the beginning, God was created. And God said, let there be light. No, it doesn't say that. God was in the beginning, and then he said, let there be light. He's the author. He's the creator. Brother Vance, he's the creator. We talked about the original, and we talked about the copies. The imitation. I told you we're going to talk about imitation tonight. If God is the original, and I started by saying I only want what's God, what's true, what's Him. That's that's my. I, I'm honest before you now. I, that's saying a whole lot to say. I only want what's God. I am not, and you should not be, beholden to any religious organization. I don't say, oh, well, I only want what our organization says we have or should have or do. We get in trouble real fast that way. Yes, it is. I don't, I, 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 that's what I want. My mind is made up tonight. I want what God wants. I want to know who he is. I want to know what he wants me to do. Hallelujah. And then we go from there. And I rewind everything back to that point to double check it. Amen? So if he's God, he's the original. And we've talked about this before. There are many scriptures that use a term ungodly. Ungodly. If there's godly and there's ungodly, now it's on us to decide which is which. Which is of God? Which is not of God? Here's the statement, the statement I would make. If there, are, if, if there is an original, then there are imitators. One mainly. We, we talked, we read here a couple of weeks ago, but I want you to look at there just again really quickly. Isaiah chapter 14 Verse 12. Here's how I'm going to prove that statement that I just said. If there's an original, then there are imitations. Isaiah 14 and 12. I believe this was two weeks ago on a Tuesday night that we read from this passage. I'm only going to read a couple of these verses now. How art, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Next verse. For thou hast said in thine heart. This is some pretty awesome stuff, really. The fact that a prophet is able to know what Lucifer said in his heart. 
He only got that from God, you understand. This was not some man sitting back thinking, oh, I bet I can figure out what went wrong. Mm-mm. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. No scriptures of private interpretation. Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Next verse. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That last phrase right there lets me know there's imitation. I'm not looking around in 2021 and thinking, okay, there's got to be some truth and some false. I'm looking in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, who wrote that Lucifer said in his heart, I will be like the Most High. You know the rest of the story. He didn't get there. Here's my question. If it's in his heart, did it leave his heart? Would it have left his heart? Or do you think there might still be some kind of desire somewhere that says, I'm still going to be like the Most High. I'm going to imitate him. And I'm going to get as many to follow me as I can. Because he's got followers and I want to be like him, I'm going to get followers. We see this even Evidenced by the fact that he wasn't the only one kicked out of heaven. What does it say? A third of the angels? He had a pretty good following just from getting this little imitation idea. He had a pretty good following. I will be like the most high. I felt like the Lord had showed me this I wouldn't call it a vision, but just kind of a description in my head one time. I think we were actually having one of our elders' meetings, and we were talking. This is over a year ago. But um, we were talking about how, th- over time, how, how we as a congregation, uh, the Life Church congregations, have followed God. And as we follow, we change. I was very quick, I was very careful not to say how we evolved. Did you catch that? How we followed God and how as we followed him, we've changed to become more and more and more and more and more like what he wants us to be. But we were just kind of discussing through the time, well, we used to do this, and we did that for a while, and then we stopped, and we did this for a while, and at once upon a time, there was this thing called NLPC. Nobody knows what that was. That was New Life Pentecostal Church in Puyallup, Washington, where this man was the pastor. That seems like a a lifetime ago almost. But the Lord had a, a plan for, for that to change into this and this to change into this and this. And, and, and as we're sitting there talking about it, in my mind I'm thinking that I know of many situations that I would not call godly situations. People might call them Christian situations, but I wouldn't. But they had very similar changes over the course of 
10, 15, 20 years. The church was this, and then it was this, and then it did this, and then it did this. But here's what I noticed. Every one of those other instances came after. And I'm not just saying this to, to puff up life, church. You understand that, right? I'm, I'm talking about God and the way that he has led us. But if each one of those situations almost mimicked the changes that God had led us into in this season, in this season, in this season. And I had this mental picture in my head of a roller coaster and two rails. And if you've ever ridden a roller coaster, you've seen those rails. They're kind of like train tracks. And when one turns, the other turns, right? You'd be kind of scared if they didn't both turn. And they go this way, and then they go this way. And then they go this way, and they go this way. And it was like the, the, what the Lord had showed me was this imitation spirit, this mimicking of my leading, God's leading, is just like that. You, you got to know that Satan knows he can't get too far off from what God is doing, too far off from the original, or everybody's going to know. That's, no, that's nothing like it. That's, that's nowhere near it. The, the church is over here, and you're going that way. So instead, what he does is he hangs just close enough. I'm talking about an imitation spirit, okay? It hangs just close enough to say, oh, we're going this way. Oh, no, we're going this way. Oh, we're going to change and do that. Oh, we're not going to use that term anymore. Oh, we're going to call ourselves authentic now. Okay. Oh, we're going to call ourselves apostolic now. Okay. Oh, we're going to use the term Pentecostal. Okay. And that's what that spirit is doing in places. I don't want to even use the word churches. In places where people gather for religious purposes. That spirit says, look at us. We're just and as much like the original. But then you know what? We can even exceed in certain areas. And now we're playing on the pride. Now we're playing on the human aspect. It's a lot like the original, only better. Wait a second. It's a lot like the original, only better. So it's something different. Yeah, but it's better. But it's different. You get in conversations like this, and most people don't, won't even uh, acknowledge the fact that they're different. You know, somebody that's seeking just a religious uh, thought. No, they're the same. They're the same. We believe the same. We worship the same. You do that and I do this, but they're the same. I had a conversation with someone very close. That's all I'm going to say. And he said, oh, you, you, you believe Jesus only, right? And I thought, what do you mean by that? Because I don't know what that means, and I better be careful before I agree to that. Well, you, 
You believe that Jesus is God. Check. <laughs> okay, I'm with you. You believe uh, baptized in Jesus' name. Check. I'm with you. You don't believe in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Well, I know that those are words. Kind of like somebody saying they don't believe in leprechauns. It's not a, it's not a fictional thing, the, the term Father, the, the term Son, and the term Holy Ghost. I believe... But you know what? I don't, I don't baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I don't dedicate separate prayer time to a Father and then to a Son and then to a Holy Ghost. Or I don't even lump them together so you can't call it separate prayer. I don't say them all repetitively. I don't pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So, where, so where's the problem? with this oh you're just jesus only i'm still struggling to see the problem and i'm waiting for him to tell me what the problem is and he decides i think we just all worship the same anyways i think we all serve the same god and i think that we you know we'll all go to the same heaven and i shook his hand it's all right lord bless you and if and when we continue that conversation, I pray the Lord gives me more wisdom. But I know enough of the Bible that says I have to have an understanding of who he is. I have to know who he is. I don't have to understand how he fits, you know, how many different lives, 20, 25 different lives together in 24 hours and does everything you need all day while he's doing everything I do, I need all day, times 20. I don't know that. I don't have to know that. So I'm not saying, the scripture says if somebody's going to come to God, they have to first believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of them that seek him. But you have to start by saying, you're God. And you do so, you get to do so, with an understanding, with a revelation. You're God. You're not this God, or that God, or that God. You are the God. He's the imitator. Now here's where... I want us to look one more time at Acts chapter 16. Bishop had mentioned this on Sunday. But in this context and with this sort of frame of mind, I want you to look at it again. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. It came to pass as we went to prayer... A certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us. Everybody still with me? Which brought her masters much gain 
by soothsaying. The same, that lady, that damsel, followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God. Is that true? It's true. They are servants of the Most High God. They show unto us the way of salvation. Is that true? It's true. All true statements. This did she many days. These men are the servants of the Most High God. They're going to teach us about salvation. They have all the answers you need. They're going to lead you the way you need to go. This she did many days, but Paul being grieved. Why is he grieved? I don't know that it was mocking like, um, oh, they're Christians, you know, disparagingly. I don't, I don't know that it was disparagingly because if it was, I don't think they would have allowed it to go on for several days, first of all. Well, what it was, it was, it was the spirit that was in her that was saying these things. Yeah, I agree. The words didn't matter. Right. The the words that she was saying weren't the weren't the issue. It's the fact that she has a I'll put it this way, a combative spirit, not in the sense of, you know, oh, I can't wait to fight somebody, but there's a confrontation. Me and you had a Zoom on a snow day in February, and we were talking about confrontation. I made notes. You probably, you probably wonder how I remember that. I just I know that we did. I made notes, and they stayed back there in that booth for several weeks, and I kept seeing them. That's how I know it. But the Lord marked me right then, and he said, it, it doesn't have to be a fight, but there is a confrontation. And he, I felt like the Lord was letting us know Prepare for yourselves for a season where confrontation will show itself. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be upset by it. Don't feel, even feel like you got to pick up, you know, a weapon. But don't be surprised because you're entering. You, the, their confrontation followed the apostles. It followed Jesus Christ. So I'm not worried about confrontation presenting itself.
But this is, that's what grieved Paul. The confrontation. And he's, I, 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 he's, he had to be thinking, how much longer are we going to have to deal with this confrontation when we are trying to do the work of God here? We are trying to bring souls to salvation. We are trying to proclaim the gospel. But every time we do it, there's this confrontation. Let me just point this out really quickly. You mentioned in Acts chapter 8 with Simon, he was kind of the, he was kind of the pre-existing guy in town. And here in this passage, in this town, it's a different town, she was a pre-existing. It said she had brought them much gain. By This had been going on. She had a reputation, just like Simon had a reputation. And what happens is the Spirit of God comes into the picture. The truth comes into the picture where there had been false teaching, false prophets. And all of a sudden, there's a confrontation. It's inherent in what we do, okay? We're not going to get to heaven without confrontation. You might get somewhere else and not have any confrontation until you get there. But we, we can't, hear me, we can't be looking for the easiest way, not even for ourselves, but as a church, as a congregation, we can't be looking for what's going to be most pleasing to the most people. And avoiding as many confrontations as we can. Because we want to please the most people that we can. Is that all right? But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit. We'll talk there for a minute. Paul had the discernment to know it's not the girl, it's the spirit. <laughs> he didn't go and say, oh, girl, you're driving me crazy. Just be quiet for a little bit. Go back to your masters. Go back to your house. Let us do no, it's not about her. And he knew that. So as soon as he got ready to address the issue and deal with it, he did it with the Spirit. He said, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. I'd like us to pray. Lord, we, we long for you above all else. We want to know the truth. We want to know your word. God, we want to live lives that are pleasing to you. 
Lord, just as the scripture says, no man can serve two masters. Lord, I don't want to be a double-minded person. I don't want to be trying to please so many different parties, Lord, that I can't do it at all. Lord, I need you. I need your wisdom. We need your spirit to guide us, O oh Lord. We need the spirit of truth. We need the spirit of truth. We need to know your voice. God, I pray, give us an understanding of your voice. Lord, let us know it. Let us hear it. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let us know your voice, Father. Let us know your voice in the name of Jesus. God, in your name. In the name of Jesus. If you'll pray for a bit and then give it to Bishop. Sure. Yes, sir. Amen. Why don't we just continue to pray for a few moments right there. In the name of Jesus. Father, we want to be obedient to you, to your spirit, God, to your flow, to the anointing that you've placed on us, Jesus, as the body of Christ. Jesus, give us the boldness necessary in this hour as your people. Give us the boldness and the confidence, God, to, to not seek out for opposition, but to know that when it comes that we're up for the task, that we're called by your name, Jesus, and that in that name is all power, all authority, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we worship you, God, we worship you, God, we trust in you, Father, in this time, in this hour that we're in, Jesus, that is critical. We trust in you, Father. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we just keep praying, be obedient to the Holy Ghost. I know that God's speaking right now. He's doing some things in us. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. God, we don't want to listen with our heads tonight, with our intellect, but we want to hear in the Spirit, Father, what you're speaking to the church. We want to have understanding, Father. We want to have understanding, Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we come against the gates of hell in the name of Jesus. They shall not stand against your church, Father. They shall not stand against your church. God, we're not going to stay on the defensive, but we're going to move on to the offensive in the name of Jesus. I pray that we would pick up the weapons of our warfare, that we would walk in the might and the power of God and the authority of the name of Jesus. Jesus, God, we go out as your people. We go out, Jesus, called by your name. Jesus. 
Why don't you stand right where you're at? If, if you need to move around a little bit, just, just be obedient to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He no lobo siana ramate loloria taya la maha. Se loloria la masse toloria la maha. Father, we wait on you. We wait for your shifting. We wait for your turning. We wait for your moving. Oh God, as the cloud and the fire in the wilderness, Jesus, we want to be led by you in such a way in this hour. God, not only in church services, not only when we're gathered in the building, but we want to be led by you in that way, God, on our jobs. Everywhere that we go, I pray we would be deliberate, that we would be intentional. God, that we would be authentic as the apostles were. Oh God, not seeking to make a name for ourselves, but seeking for your will, 